Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. In this episode, we're going to discuss the one, the only, the iconic 1975 Hindi blockbuster, Sholay. We'll take an in-depth look at the film's romantic heroes and dastardly villain, as well as its enduring legacy and influence. So join us for the greatest story ever told. Ever. Ever. Uh, we didn't come up with that. That's what's written on the poster. Yeah, that is on the poster for Sholay. It's uh, the greatest star cast ever assembled. The greatest story ever told. And are they wrong? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's very uh, Citizen Kane of their poster. Yeah, Citizen Kane with the memorable tagline, It's It's terrific. terrific. (laughs) It's terrific. One of my favorite poster taglines of all time. Although the greatest star cast ever assembled, the greatest story ever told is up there. Yeah, and... Citizen Kane, by the way, had that before it got all that critical acclaim, too. So it came out the gate saying, hey, everybody, it's terrific. Well, same with Sholay, which we will get to. I have to say, Matt, I'm really nervous about this episode. Ah, he'll be okay. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about something that everyone likes and everyone has an opinion on, so everyone's going to pay attention to it. Hopefully. This is our 17th episode, Mm -hmm. and I'm really nervous because I can't think of a bigger, more important film to discuss. Yeah. Um, and as we've mentioned on the show many, many times before, and as you can tell from our names, we're not Indian. We didn't grow up with Bollywood cinema. And so this is not the same kind of cultural touchstone that it is for many Indians, both in India and in the diaspora. Yeah. So as this is our first podcast on Audio Boom, our new you know, host, I guess you'd say, um, we can introduce ourselves a little bit more than normal. As I said at the top, I'm Matt Bose, and uh, Aaron and I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and we're just uh, two non-Desi people who really got into Bollywood over the past couple of years. Yeah. And Sholay was one of the first films that was on our radar to watch, mm-hmm. partly because we saw this, what is it, 12-part epic. Oh, um, yeah. The story of film. film. The story of film. Story of film. Yeah, Yeah, by Mark Cousins. Uh, Based on a book. Yeah, and he goes to India for a small portion of it. This thing is this thing is long and encompasses. Tries to touch on every world cinema that there is. It's twelve hours, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so he briefly touches on Bollywood, and he mostly talks about Shole and Amitabh Bachchan. Yeah. And the clips that you see from Shole are instantly like. Exciting, something's going on there, and energetic, and you you really want to see you know this this movie that in India I'm led to understand is akin to Gone with the Wind, Titanic, Citizen Kane, Star Wars, all wrapped into one. Yeah, it's the big movie, and uh, we've mentioned it in earlier episodes. But uh, Aaron and I both went to university and took film classes. Mm-hmm. Aaron majored in film. And it does seem a little odd in retrospect that Sholay is not on the uh, menu at any of our classes. But as we found out during our research, there isn't really a definitive version out there. Yeah. There are many cuts. There are, you know, sensors got involved. There's TV cuts. There's, you know, cut for length. And it's... It's tough to pin down what the definitive version of this is. We should say that at school we did study Mother India, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely in you know the running for greatest Bollywood film, greatest Indian film of all time. Yeah, and I also watched Pather Panchali there. Yeah, and I also saw Dilse with Shah Rukh Khan and um, a Bimal Roy film. But our our uh, our professors here in Alberta were focusing more on. Um, parallel cinema, I guess you'd say. Although, you know, what say isn't in Mother India was a Bollywood film, but it's not the same sort of thing as what we would consider nowadays. But Shole is, by all accounts, the definitive Bollywood movie. Well, yeah, and it had a lasting impact stylistically on Bollywood, which I think is why, because we watch mostly contemporary Bollywood films, and I think that's why we recognize the characterization, the aesthetics, the style of Sholay because it's had a huge influence on everything that's come after it yeah. versus some of the Bollywood films that we've seen kind of pre-Sholay while interesting and engaging and should certainly include, you know, things like song and dance. Yeah. Um, there's still the DNA 
isn't quite that through line that I think we see from Sholay to something like Gunde. Well, yeah, and um, we were looking at, you know, doing research for this one. We thought we'd really want to study up. And uh, you found a quote from Anapama Chombra, who mm-hmm. said, There has never been a more defilming screen, uh, film on the Indian screen. Indian film history can be divided into Sholay B.C. and Sholay A.D., from the book Sholay Making of a Classic. It's and very much like that uh, line that the Criterion Collection has on the back of the Breathless release. There was before Breathless and there was after Breathless. Well, Breathless... You can say the same thing about Sholay. Yeah, for, you know, defining a style of film, but for defining, you know, the movie-making industry, you might also point to Jaws, which mm-hmm. inaugurated the modern Hollywood blockbuster. Exactly, yeah. And this is on that level of game-changer. Yeah. So, why don't we get into the film itself? Sure. Well, Sholay was produced by G.P. Sippy and was directed by Ramesh Sippy and was written by Salam Khan and Javed Akhtar, who are better known as Salam Javed. And the movie stars Dharmendra, who was the biggest star in this at the time, but he would go on to be eclipsed by his co-star a little bit, I'd say. Mm -hmm. But Dharmendra stars as Viru, whose name literally means heroism, and Amitabh Bachchan as Jay whose name means victory. And at this point, Amitabh Bachchan was not the superstar that he has become. This is the film that makes him that superstar. He'd only debuted a couple years previously and really had to fight to get this role because he wasn't a big name. He wasn't a box office draw, which to us is kind of inconceivable. But this is the film that made him kind of that icon. Comparison to Harrison Ford in Star Wars, right? Yeah. It's a career-making role. Um, Sanjeev Kumar plays the Thakur, Baldev Singh, wearing a very stylish uh, sheet draped over (laughs) his uh, body for reasons we're not going to get into. uh, Whereas uh, Hima Malini plays Bastani and Jaya Baduri plays Radha. Those are the two women in the movie. And finally, we have Amjad Khan as Gabar Singh, who is the definitive Bollywood villain. Yeah, he is the Darth Vader of Bollywood cinema. He is the Hans Gruber, the Darth Vader. He is everything. Yeah. Um, he His lines of dialogue are quoted in many, many, many other Bollywood films, and from what I understand, have been incorporated into the popular vernacular. Well, in yeah, India. like you can make a movie called. Uh, there was one that just came out. Gabar is back. With there was Gabar is back, and then there was another one saying something Gabar Singh too. Yeah, like it's he's enough of a name that you can hang a whole movie on his name. Yeah, and that's something we noticed a lot watching this is that even stray lines. Or images had entire movies spiral out of them. There's mm-hmm. a amazing dance sequence later on where uh, Bastani has to dance on broken glass. The song is called Jab Tak Hai John. No, which, it's called Ha Jab Tak Hai John. I know. We're close. It's very <laughs> close. Jab Tak Hai John. It's Ha Jab Tak Hai John. But then you go on to get a movie 30 years later called Jab Tak Hai John. Yeah. It's, it has to be a direct shout out. Yeah. I... I don't know. We'd have to we'd have to ask Yash Chopra, but I mean, it is these the lines of these in this film are so quotable and known to everyone who watches Bollywood mm-hmm. movies, apart from us, I guess. But they are now that you can you know one line will reference the entire movie and think how many things reference Star Wars over the years, that kind of thing. Yeah, access to this film proved surprisingly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, for a movie as iconic as a Sholay, we thought it would be pretty easy to get a hold of. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we only found a DVD at our local library. They only had one copy, which is constantly being reserved and taken out. So we and our library, I must one. say, our library is really good. Like, yeah. it'll have ten copies of a Bollywood movie, for instance. There's a large East Indian community in Edmonton where we live. And so, um, you know, our access is generally not too bad, mm-hmm. but for this movie, it was tough. Yeah, they only have this one copy of the library. We couldn't find it anywhere online. Um, we should say legally. We only yeah. watch our films legally. We do watch our movies legally. Uh, that's one of the tenets on this show is that we, in wanting to bring Bollywood to the wider sort of Western film audience, we try to make it so that you don't have to go outside the law to enjoy these films. We we, you know, find ways to do it legally, and if it's difficult, we'll tell you how we did it, yeah. but we generally 
either get movies from the library, use uh, Netflix, Eros Now, or Butterflix, which mm-hmm. is a streaming website. Exactly. So, unfortunately, this film, you know, Eros has the distribution for the film, but it's not on Eros Now. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't find it on iTunes, not on Netflix or any other streaming service. And the 3D uh, re-release didn't make its way up here yeah, either. Yeah, didn't come to Edmonton either. So we only had this DVD, which unfortunately was cropped. Yes. Into kind of a traditional square television. Yeah, it's not quite Academy Ratio, but it's that 4-3 yeah. regular TV style. Which is a shame, considering the panoramic vistas on display and the fact that this was, movie was shot in 70mm. No, it wasn't. Oh. It was released in 70mm, oh, but it was shot in 35 Huh, okay. Because 70mm cameras were pretty expensive, so mm-hmm. they just stretched it. <laughs> Oh. Uh, they stretched the 35 millimeter to a 70 millimeter. So would you get that wide stretched look from people that you get when you have your TV settings wrong or what? I don't know. I'd really, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see a 70 millimeter release of this film. I don't know if that will ever be possible. I'd love to see a 35 millimeter release of this film. I don't even love know. Love to see a digital release in theaters, honestly. Anything. Yeah. I don't even know kind of what exists to remaster. I know they have done a remastering of the film kind of, um, in the early 2000s, and then recently they released it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this film deserves a Criterion Collection release. Yeah. Uh, that's something that uh, you were reading in an article written by our guest from our last episode, Danny yeah. Bose, who said that if, if any movie deserved the Criterion treatment, it's this one. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, tell us about the story itself, Matt. Well, it's a Western. Mm-hmm. And... If it's any Western, I'd say it's probably the Magnificent Seven, except it's the Magnificent Two. <laughs> so there is a small village that is being menaced by this guy named Gabar Singh, who is a dacoit, a bandit, who lives out in the woods. And his guys come in and, you know, pillage and attack every now and then and essentially keep this village under their thumb. The Thakar, who is kind of like a Zamindar... He's a... He's the village leader. He's a feudal lord, basically. Yeah. He lives in a mansion outside of town. And we... We could say it. This movie is... If you're listening to this, you probably know this movie. Um, if you don't, any spoilers we would give away is not going to take away from yeah. enjoying and watching this film. The The movie has... The, the story of this film has reached essentially mythical status. Mm-hmm. So the Thakur has had both of his arms chopped off by Gabar Singh. So the Thakur, before this, he was a cop. And he, you know, he was a very daring, brave guy who, who was the only one who could go up against Gabar and almost had him. But he got captured after his family was killed by Gabar. And Gabar chops his arms off and his reign of terror seems to go on forever. There's no way out of this situation. But the Thacker, he's a clever guy. And he remembers these two badasses, Vero and Jay, mm-hmm. who he'd met in a previous adventure, which is kind of where the movie starts, is he's recounting this adventure to another cop who he wants to go get these guys found, where they were on a train that was getting attacked by bandits. And by you know the intervention of Vero and Jay, they were able to get away. So the cop sends his crony out to find these two, who at this time have been put into a prison camp led by a very Hitler-y kind of guard. He has a Hitler look to him, but he's played for laughs. The prison guard is, you know, he's a buffoon. He's easily tricked. And it turns Jay, into a prison comedy for kind of a brief about, moment. About half, not brief moment. It's about half an hour of prison comedy. Yeah. So uh, Vera and Jay get out of there. They It becomes a little bit like The Great Escape. A little bit, yeah. Um, or maybe even some sort of like British prison comedy. Yeah. It, it, the, since this is a Masala film, it's got a, all the elements. Yeah. This is probably the comedic element that is the most prevalent. And but, again, that, like, this is the definitive Masala film. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if any, so, if there was one. Yeah. It's, it's tough when, you know, wrapping your head around a classic movie that something that seems like a trope, it invented the trope. Mm-hmm. So. They're able to get out of jail, and they meet up with the Thakur, who explains, you know, I'll give you a lot of money if you get Gabar. And importantly, you need to bring him in alive. Yeah, he wants him alive. Because he has his revenge on his mind. And the shole of the title means flames or embers, and it's this burning revenge that the Thakur has for uh, Gabar Singh. 
And that's where, you know, most of the movie takes place is mm-hmm. Vero and Jay meeting villagers and falling in love with them and finding that they actually really like the village lifestyle. They want to stay here after they get Gabar and they have to essentially train up, get ready for this confrontation. And then we won't say what happens then, but, uh, you know, it is a very 70s Western ending. Yeah, the whole film is kind of building up to this climactic fight that you know is it's all going to come to a head where Jay and Veru, you know, finally confront Gabar and then the Thacker is going to, you know, finally reveal why he wants to keep him alive and that reveal is insane and amazing. It's (laughs) awesome. It is very, very cool. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how this film, you know, was clearly influenced by directors like Sam Peckinpah Sergio Leone, and definitely John Sturgis, who made both The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape, which we see elements of both. And The Magnificent Seven, which is getting remade by... Which was a remake itself, too. Exactly. It was a remake itself. Of Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. So it's interesting to see how an Asian film is remade in Hollywood, and then that film itself gets incorporated into another Asian film. Yeah, I mean... That it, globalization is really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's never explicitly in the text that this is a reference to Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven. But it is in that Western vein of there's only a couple guys who are able to deal with this problem. Yeah. So I think cinematically you can make an argument that there is some cross-pollination, but we can't say definitively. But in the way of film scholars, we say, well, this references, this points towards. Yeah. And boy, does it ever. It seems pretty obvious to me that that a film like The Magnificent Seven, that that DNA has been put into show life. Yeah, I think there's a reason why they're mostly using six-shooter revolvers and they're riding around on horses all the time. It's what they called it a masala western, right? A well, curry western. Yeah, this yeah. launched the kind of uh, popular genre of the curry western, which mm-hmm. is a play on the term spaghetti western, which is about you know, which describes the western it's, films that Sergio Leone made, many of which were remakes of Japanese films. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is when when people say that you want more originality in movies, you don't want as many remakes. This sort of cross-cultural pollination is the absolute best you can ask for from remakes because it's taking a fairly simple story. It's not really using the same story elements, but it's it's the story of a village menaced by a bandit and doing different spins on it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say there's anything in this film that feels derivative. No. You know... Even though, are, this, even though it's a story we've heard before, the yeah. way it's told is completely its own. Exactly. Exactly. Like this, it has these elements of Hollywood Westerns that we recognize, but everything about this film feels purely Indian. Yeah. Um, and I think that's to, to the film's credit that, you know, you can take this iconic story from... A genre that is very much kind of about the myth-making of another country and make that work for myth-making for your own country. Mm-hmm. And many scholars have talked about how this film is an allegory for India. It's a national allegory. It came out at a time of political unrest in India. Mm-hmm. And so the... Well, this is not too long before the emergency, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The violence within this film, the villagers' kind of reaction to the this outside threat, how they react with violence, as well as the camaraderie and the sense of community that is built in this town and that relationship between Veru and Jay and, you know, even again, the, the meanings of their names, all of that is laden deep with kind of national sentiment. Yeah. I mean, propaganda is a bad word. Mostly. Yeah. But I would say that this is pro, pro-Indian pro propaganda, essentially. Like, if this was being used in some sort of culture war between them and Pakistan. There, the, the interesting thing about the town is that 
both Hinduism and Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, Islam, are equally valued. There is a imam in town. He's well-liked by everybody. And He's the one Muslim character. The, and his son, I guess. Yeah. But, like, this is an idealized version of the Indian state where mm-hmm. everyone gets along well. There are outside forces that they need to band together against, but inside all the there's no difference between religions no no real difference between rich and poor i mean the thakur is well loved by his uh you know his villagers and they don't seem to really mind that he's richer than them and lives in a nicer house everything is idealized and it's it's fascinating to think that you know this might have been used as a way to say you know hey pakistan which they've had wars against but at this point in the the country's history this is the idealized version of our state where everyone can get along if we only try. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that there's a, deli- there's a deliberate um, antagonism towards Pakistan. I don't think Gabar is supposed to be Pakistan. I think he's supposed to be, you know, a relic of the past of, um, you know, lawlessness and greed and violence. And with Jay and Vero, we have young Indian males who were born after, probably after the British had left, taking taking the bull by the horns and saying, enough is enough, no screwing around here anymore. We are, we're taking matters into our own hands. They also have to be civilized in a way because mm-hmm. they start out, you know, as these mercenaries who are really only looking out for themselves mm-hmm. um, and only have their own selfish interests at heart. And, you know, they're going to, when they first are kind of presented with the plan by the Thacker. They're planning on robbing him. Yeah. And the Thacker's daughter essentially says, well, we don't really have any other options. So if you want to rob us, you're leaving this entire village to its fate. Yeah. If you're going to succumb to the same greed that Gabar is fueled by, go for it because you can't really screw us up over much more. Yeah. And it's through kind of their interaction with the villagers and especially falling for two women within the village. Darmendra's Veru falls in love with Hema Malini's Basanti. Uh, mm-hmm. In real life, these two actors would get married a few years after this film. Yeah, Hema Malini being a um, ox cart. No, it's it's a donkey cart. Yeah, and she picks them up uh, at the train, and she's a very idealized kind of young Indian woman, not really worried about much. She's very happy-go-lucky. She's bubbly and headstrong. Yeah. And she's very devoted. Which is kind of a character type that you see a lot. But again, this is where these things come from. And Amitabh Bachchan's Jay falls in love with the more kind of demure and traditional... And rich. Radha, played by Jaya Battery. She has a bit of a noblesse oblige thing because, you know, her family is rich, but due to an error that she feels is kind of on her part, like... She was not present when her family was massacred, and yes. she's subsumed with grief. And, and we'll talk about that massacre, I think, after the break. Yeah, she's walking around in a white sari all the time, just grieving forever. And Jay is... They really don't have a lot of scenes together, honestly. It's its mm-hmm. an unrequited romance. And again, in real life, they also got married. Yeah, they were requited <laughs> in real life, so that's good. Uh, so, happy happy story for for all the couples, both in the film and... And, well, if it's not a happy story in the film, they got a happy story outside of the film. Yeah. Um, all of this kind of, you know, national allegory, I don't think is entirely intentional. I think it's just one of those things that happens within the zeitgeist. And this film, you know, being kind of this product of pure popular entertainment had its finger on the pulse at the time. Well, these these great works of art, they may not start out with, uh, you know political intentions behind them. Sometimes they do, but they kind of gather them as they go because they get watched so much and there's something in them that does resonate with the populace. And this one, you know, is the most popular and successful Bollywood film of all time. So obviously people are going to have different spins on it. And when it initially came out, it was received with bad reviews and low attendance at the theaters. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until kind of word of mouth developed couple weeks later that it became this sensation if i remember right from bollywood a history uh it was it had a jubilee at the office in the uh box office which means it ran for 25 weeks straight which Mm -hmm. i mean 
How many modern movies could pull that off, honestly? Adjusted for inflation, it is probably the highest grossing Indian film of all time. Um, because they weren't really keeping good box office records, we don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but based on how many people have seen it, yes. you have to kind of think it did well. Yes. Well, I think it's time to take a break. And we're going to listen to a song. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about the action and the violence in the film and kind of how we felt watching it for the very first time. Um, but, but first, which the song, song. Yeah, which song are we listening to? Uh, we're, we're listening to Yet yeah, Dosti, uh, which is a very bromantic song. It's about Jay and Veru's love for one another. It comes really on early on in the film and really establishes their relationship and their connection so that you kind of care about them throughout the film. A classic bros riding around on motorcycle having a good time song. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you after the break. So that was Yeah Dosti from Sholay. The soundtrack to this film was so popular that they released an album of dialogues mm-hmm. just to satisfy the public's need for more Sholay. Yeah, I guess it's almost like, this is a stupid example, but The Big Lebowski, where almost every single line is quotable and mm-hmm. people can remember it. This is that, but magnified times a thousand. Yeah. So, we've talked a lot about the importance of this film, its cultural significance, how it was received when it came out. Um, We've given a brief overview of the cast and the plot, but how did you feel, Matt, watching this film for the very first time? We've been anticipating watching this for a couple years Finally got our hands on it. Finally sat down to watch it. And I think it's apt to say that we had pretty high expectations. Yeah. I mean, imagine watching Star Wars for the first time, right? Yeah. Well, you did at some point. You might not have watched it when it came out in theaters, but every great work of art is approached by the reader, the viewer, at some time. So but Watching it, Star Wars for the first time, like I was a kid and I didn't really know what it was. But kids things. would have watched this at this, like... Kids would have watched Sholay growing up the same way. Yeah. I, what I'm saying is I'm that... I'm talking about your experience. Though. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What I'm trying to build up to is that it it can be a little bit disorienting when you've been told something is a great work of art, and then you go in thinking, man, this thing has to be amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when I was living with uh, my roommates, when I had four girl roommates, and for some reason, probably because I'm a weirdo... I thought, well, you know, I rented uh, Once Upon a Time in America, Sergio Leone, wonderful film. You know, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see if my roommates want to watch it. And for, somehow, I used to be much more um, much more convincing in my youth, I think. I was able to convince my three, well, four roommates to sit down and watch uh, Once Upon a Time in America with me. And, it's a long movie. Well, too. I'm getting to that, yeah. They didn't realize how long it was going to be. And we got to the end of the first DVD, because it is three and a half hours long or something, and they're like, oh, wow, that's a really weird ending. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a whole other DVD here. You guys still want to watch? And they did, to their credit. But, I mean, it is a... It's tough to introduce people to something, and they all liked it. It's it's hard to break through that, uh, you know, not really wanting to interact with something that big it's mm-hmm. it's too big to really grasp right because you know we're coming at this without even knowing the language much less living in india much less having a history of the film so grappling with this film i tried to watch it on its own merits and guess what it's badass like, yeah that the fights are awesome the the cinematography is beautiful the story is simple yet awesome the acting is fantastic um, Gabar Singh is a great villain. I, you know, based on my knowledge of uh, um, Bollywood horror movies, for instance, where I haven't seen a single scary one, and I've tried <laughs> a few times. I, I was wondering if, okay, well, 
you know, maybe this this guy's going to be pretty good. But Gabar's awesome. Yeah. He has a uh, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight feel where you really can't get a beat on this guy. You don't know what he's going to do from moment to moment. And you just have kind of a sense of dread every time he's on screen because he's going to flip out and kill somebody and do something generally awful. So uh, the camaraderie between the two men is awesome. The Thakur, you know, for what is kind of a limited role, especially given what he's able to do, he does stand there very stoically a lot of the time and watches bad things happen, but he plays it to a T. Well, and when he finally... Uh, gets the chance to exact his revenge on Gabar Singh. It's amazing. And I think there's moments in this film... Murder (laughs) shoes. Yeah. I think there's moments in this film where it could kind of um, fall into camp. Mm -hmm. And I think it resists that. Mm -hmm. Partly because it's just so expertly made. That introduction of Gabar Singh, which focuses mostly on kind of his bottom half, revealing kind of his face much later than you would expect is really kind of well-timed and well-crafted. Yeah, he's a good leg actor. You can tell that this guy's unhinged just as he's walking around. So we've read that uh, the portrayal of Gabar is supposed to be like the first depiction of pure evil in Indian cinema, and I can kind of get it. Yeah. Then there's also the scene where you see Thacker's family killed, which is extremely violent without showing a lot of violence. There's... There's no blood. There's not a lot of blood, no. But you, these people are, you know, these, you see, you kind of, there's a build up to it where you see his family just kind of going about their lives and the way that they interact and kind of the peacefulness that well, they have. Peacefulness punctuated by gunshots as exactly. the one guy is playing with his shotgun because he's thinking going hunting later. Exactly. And then those gunshots come for them. And the way that the film kind of freeze frames on each person as they are killed mm-hmm. has this this impact. It just it hits you with this violence without really showing a lot of blood or gore or detail. It's yeah. just kind of the casualness and the horror of being shot down in this way. And again, I, I get these very like peck and paw vibes of just peck and paw or you know new wave or John yeah, it's Gorman. very new wave. It. I didn't see that coming. I didn't think there was that that level of uh, um, style, style, or kind of obscuring what could easily be done for uh, sort of the gut punch. Mm-hmm. Like I, it might come from the fact that a a child is shot, and mm-hmm. that's pretty taboo in Hollywood feature films, much less. Bollywood seeing blood on a child. So I wonder if maybe that was the imp- the impetus behind it. But it does have instant iconography status mm-hmm. coming right out of that. And this happens a few more times, too. Um, earlier on, there's some more freeze-frame cuts of mm-hmm. um, mostly Gabar's men getting shot. Yeah, it gives the film a really modern feel, even watching it now, knowing that it's a film from 1975. It still feels... Fresh and modern and lively. I think we did it kind of the right way, watching it after having seen a lot of things that referenced it, mm-hmm. that we were able to kind of appreciate how tropes and um, character types from this movie went on to echo through the ages, even mm-hmm. to Gunde, as you say, but the Doom series with the interplay between uh, Amitabh Bachchan's son and the other guy in that movie, Uday Uday Chopra, Chopra. And Uday Chopra. There's kind of that, uh, you know, the tall, broody guy and then the shorter, fun guy. Yeah. That same attitude comes back. And, you know, stock characters exist for a reason. Yeah. And I, I think the action here is also notable and very well shot. There's this extended sequence kind of on a train that I think... Mm-hmm. That's really, where you first see them, that they're awesome. Yeah, like yeah. really amps up your excitement to watch this film that has really become known as an event. You know, you yeah. don't just like sit down and watch Shole. You experience Shole. Unfortunately, we had to experience Shole in our living room on like a cut, mm-hmm. <laughs> a cut DVD, uh, as in the frame has been cut, um, just the two of us. But it still kind of had that power and that impact to break those less than desirable 
elements. You I know, think to if, break yeah. through the fact that we're just sitting on our sofa watching another movie. And well, I watched that it's scene not on the best you- yeah. quality. I watched that scene on YouTube first. And, you know, this is going away from our not trying to do things illegally. But I watched that on YouTube because most of the movie is there. And even on YouTube, in a not amazing transfer, that battle on the train mm-hmm. still retains its power. I saw that before watching Shola. I'm like, damn, there's some pretty good action in this movie. Um, which is not something you could say a lot about, uh, you know, classic films. That the kind of Star Trek inspired, not inspired, but like in the same way, um, you know, punch-ups where unorthodox moves work better than you think they would. Mm-hmm. Specifically murder shoes. Um <laughs> Like it, mm. it retains that uh, '70s feel because obviously it's from then. Yeah. But it it works in the modern context too. And I know they remade it, and I don't know if I want to see that remake because I've heard it's really bad. Yeah, and I believe Amitabh Bachchan. There's probably more than one remake, but I know in one of them, Amitabh Bachchan plays Gabar Singh. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems wrong. Apparently, did not go over very. I could well. see him playing the Thakur. That'd be okay. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, you you can't have the hero playing the villain. That seems incorrect. What's your favorite part of the whole film? Um, I guess the cinematography and the landscape. Yeah. Um, had you told me, like we were talking about this while we watched the movie, had you told me that this had been shot along the U.S.-Mexico border, mm-hmm. it has those amazing vistas, the rock formations, the big sky, the use of trains... It has all that stuff that we get from the great, you know, spaghetti westerns. But it is in... Which were shot in Italy. <laughs> which were shot in Italy. But, like, it has or that... Spain. It has that look to it. And, you know, mix that with essentially an idealized fairy tale village. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks amazing. And... Of some of the Bollywood movies we've seen, I think this has the best uh, uh, natural outside photography. Yeah. I would say uh, Vishesh Bardwal uh, with Hater looked really awesome. And uh, Highway in Tazali. Um, I think it's good that you don't know exactly where this village is. It's just, you know, the platonic village. Well, it's just, it's mythic in that, in that yeah. sense. And it it's not them, tied to a certain location, though. Yeah. It took them two years to shoot this film, like over two years. They were getting every scene perfect. You know, a mm-hmm. scene of um, Jaya Badure lighting lamps. They redid 20 times just to get the lighting perfect. But they nail the... They nail the... Uh, for lack of a better term, choreography of her lighting the lamps, Jay watching her light yeah. the lamps. That scene is repeated a few times with more thematic relevance each time as the two characters know each other. We know more about them. They get that, you know, dead to rights perfect every single time. So, you know, it showed up. It, it worked. Yeah, and that train sequence that we discussed took seven weeks to film. I can like, believe it. These, these There's a lot of awesome time stunts. Time periods seem highly unlikely not just in kind of modern Bollywood filmmaking, but in Hollywood filmmaking as well. You know, like, it takes a lot of money to stretch out a film production that, this long. Yeah. And I mean, with Bollywood, they might have been working on other projects yeah, at oh, the time. Yeah, they were so definitely working on Darmendra might have gone on to do another movie for a couple weeks. Oh, they all released, <laughs> most of them, uh, Darmendra and Hema Malini and... I think Bachchan and Bajari, but definitely the other two, released, like, many other movies uh, in the same year because, you know, it's Bollywood and they're working on several films at a time. My favorite scene is um, the song Ha Jab Tak Hai Jan, where Basanti has to literally dance to save Viru's life. On broken glass, no. Oh, yeah. She keeps, you know, so... She's kind of, she's been kidnapped. They've both been kidnapped, and, G- and Viru came to come and save her, mm-hmm. but uh, Gabar essentially gets the drop on him, ties him up, and then she makes the decision, well, I'm going to dance to keep him alive, because hopefully Jay can get here on time. Well, he forces her to dance. Yeah. You know, he, well, it's either that or watch the love of exactly. her life get executed. Exactly. And, she, and boy, does she dance. It's mm-hmm. kind of this amazing sequence where she is, you know... On fire, like not literally, but 
She, you know, she might as well be because she keeps looking up at the sun well, and getting exactly. dizzy and falling down. And, and she just she keeps going for it and going for it and going for it. And you know, she gets tired out, and they throw glass down, and she dances on top of them after looking incredulously, like, "Oh, I guess I got to do this." And it's this incredible moment, but it's also this very kind of it's it deconstructs in a way that classic item number, mm-hmm. you know, and it. it it's a very kind of powerful sequence where it calls out the kind of toxic masculinity that you find in an item number. We're literally here, the evil characters are forcing the woman to dance to the mm-hmm. point of exhaustion, to the point of her feet bleeding. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really powerful, dare I say, feminist sequence in a film that. I wouldn't point out any other kind of feminist elements about. I don't but think so. One... It, it, I think the female characters are fairly well realized. Yeah, but this itself yeah. feels like a statement and it feels feminist, like calling out that, like in the Ur text, there's that tradition of kind of leering at young women in these films and mm-hmm. turning them into objects. And here we're shown the evilness in that. We're shown the toxicity in that. We're shown the male gaze. Yeah. We're shown how men extort women. Yeah. And this movie does play with the dance sequences in a cool way. Yeah, all the song sequences are, like, important to the plot. They're, dare I say it, diegetic. Somewhat, yeah. Like, there's the the fun holy song, which Mm -hmm. gets interrupted by Gabar showing up. Yeah. There's the one we heard earlier, Yeah, Dosti, which... You know, establishes that these two guys are friends, but also um, kind of has some comedic elements to it, too. Yeah. And they then, feel essential. It doesn't feel like they've put a music video in the middle of a movie, which yeah. I love I'm all it. for that. Yeah, but love it, it when know, they put a music yeah. video in the middle of a movie, but here they feel very essential. There's a uh, dance sequence at Gabar's camp where... Uh, Jay and Viru are going in to blow some stuff up during during it, but it kind of reminded me of uh, the gypsy dance in uh, From Russia with Love mm-hmm. and the fight there. But it is like that, isn't it? There, I had the same thought. It's it's weird that in a two and a half hour movie there aren't a lot of padded elements. Yeah, really. I mean, apart from the uh, jail scene, which you liked a lot better than me, but like. Even the musical numbers are there for a purpose apart from it's fun to do this or look how cool this is. Yeah. Yeah, I will say the, the film is long. The director's cut, um, which from what I understand has been released on DVD, so if you can get your hands on it, I assume it's worth tracking down. Um, and it has a different ending than the theatrical cut. Probably That's too bad. The theatrical cut had a wonderful ending. I wouldn't want to see a different ending. Oh, well, I don't know. I... I don't know. But from what I understand, the the censor board of India made them change the ending um, so that it was less violent. Nope. <laughs> That's incorrect, Indian censor board. You done goofed again. Um, but the director's cut runs at over 200 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we didn't see that cut, unfortunately, but we did see... One Ours that was, was three hours and 20 minutes or something? Yeah, three hours and 20. Yeah, you said two and a half earlier, and I was like, no, it was oh, three yeah, hours. Yeah. Three hours and 20 minutes. And um, for the most part, it doesn't feel padded out. I think kind of post-interval, there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of stuff that feels like it's dragging a bit. They are very lackadaisical when it comes to their preparations to fight Gabar. Yeah, but... Overall, everything in this film feels important and feels like it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And again, because of our film watching history, we've kind of come at this looking for and noticing the ways in which it's emulating genres we're familiar with, specifically the Western. Mm-hmm. Um, but this does feel typically and inherently Indian. Mm-hmm. And it, it should because it influenced so many other films that came afterwards. Well, yeah, but I think it's really interesting to see, you know, what we were talking about earlier, that kind of cross-cultural cinematic pollination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, we see that happening 
now with, you know, kind of Hollywood remakes happening everywhere else and mm-hmm. Hollywood remaking other cultures' films and It's not inherently a bad thing. People. It's not inherently... Casting white people. I'm not, <laughs> uh, I'm not going on, on uh, record defending that, but, um, you know, remakes are generally not a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer it if everyone wanted to watch the original versions and was able to stomach watching a movie with subtitles, but a lot of people aren't. And you can get a lot of interesting movies out of taking something that's so tied to a certain place and then putting a spin on it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of, it's important to call out that a lot of our great pieces of cinema have this kind of DNA, Mm -hmm. you know, have kind of fit themselves within this larger continuum of cinema around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that a lot of, you know, these great Hollywood Westerns are remakes of Japanese films. And now we see an Indian film that's clearly borrowing from those great Hollywood Westerns. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're preaching to the choir here. I think everyone knows that it's a good movie. But yeah. we well, just we just you... weren't prepared for how good it was, yeah. I think. Well, what would you say to someone who maybe hasn't seen the film or is going to see the film for the first time? Um, well, it's long, so make sure you could take a bathroom break at some point. But just get on its wavelength. Um, I found that, uh, again, when I was living with other roommates, you know, sometimes introducing them to something older was difficult. Sometimes black and white, even though it seems crazy to us, but that could be a handicap for some people. And what people don't get about great works of art, in a lot of cases, I think, is that they do touch on all elements of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, The TV show Mad Men, for instance. When it was on, it was oftentimes like the funniest show on TV, in addition to being a great distillation of the times, in addition to being commenting on nowadays, etc., It was also super funny because when you have people working on something that amazing, they're going to be good at everything. And this one, it's funny. It's tragic. It has good action. It has good songs. Mm -hmm. It is basically good at everything. And just sit back and enjoy the ride, honestly. Um, You don't really need to know anything about Indian cinema going into this, I don't think. It doesn't have some of the weirder tropes that pop up, some of the things that might seem tough to swallow at first glance. Mm-hmm. It's If you like Westerns, essentially, watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It is the greatest story ever told. Yeah. One of the rare occasions where a tagline <laughs> does actually live up to the film. But I would agree. It's a fantastic movie, and I can see why an entire film industry is based on it. And we only hope that a better version that you can watch kind of on your own will come out because... It's a huge shame that this film is this difficult to get a hold of. Yeah, this is like a you know Passion of Jean d'Arc level. As a as a cinema watching species, we should figure out a way to lock this one down. Yeah, it should have a you know nice Blu-ray transfer done by the Criterion or Masters of Cinema, more likely, because it's more likely that there's a good version of it somewhere in England than in the states, but. It it really should get fixed somehow. Get someone to you know find the agreed upon master version, like Blade Runner almost. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't know. Like something existed for them to obviously make a the three D three D version of it. Yeah. But we don't know like what's out there. And I know reading about um, when Criterion released the Apu trilogy, the lengths that they had to go to on the 35s that they did have access to to kind of restore those was intense. Yeah, Um, but think about how many copies of this they would sell, though. It would literally be printing money. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, that's our plea to to the Criterion Collection and other boutique (laughs) uh, Blu-ray and DVD labels. If you want to make a a shit ton of money... You know, remake one of the... Well, not remake, but uh, make available one of the great works of cinema. Exactly. So we want to give a little bit of a uh, guide to works that we looked at when researching this episode. Because for a film on this magnitude and so important in uh, Indian cinema, we wanted to do a bit more research than we generally do. So uh, we, my first uh, 
book that I looked at for this one was Bollywood, a history by Mihir Bose. Um, it's a flawed book. There are numerous editing errors throughout and you could tell that the author favors certain actors over others, but his, his look at Sholay is very, very good. We also really enjoyed the article that Sidhant Adalaka wrote for Birth Movies Death called 40 Years of Sholay, which spoke about the impact of the movie on the greater Bollywood uh, scene as well as the difficulty in getting a version now. Really, really good stuff. We'll put a link in the, uh, in the doobly-doo, as uh, um, John Green would say. But we also looked at uh, uh, our last guest's uh, Danny Bowes, his article on ebert.com about Sholay. Very, very good stuff all around. So I would recommend checking those out if you want to get a greater sense of the film and its influence. And that brings us to the end of our episode on Sholay and our first episode on Audioboom. Yeah, we hope we didn't make too many uh, factual errors. <laughs> we hope we didn't uh, say too many people's names incorrectly. Uh, as non-Hindi speakers, this does have a tendency to happen. And when we're talking about such an important film, we try not to screw things up but it kind of does happen yeah it's going to happen but uh yeah feel free to comment on this article or leave a review on our itunes page if you'd like to let us know what you thought of our take on the greatest film ever made we will be back in two weeks with a new episode uh we'll be doing an episode on bollywood films that have played at cons because cons is coming up Mm-hmm. And it's a time to celebrate kind of art house artistic achievements in cinema. So we're going to be looking at three films that played in Southern Regard, uh, that section of the festival. So we'll be looking at Masan, Titli, and Miss Lovely. So mm-hmm. you can look for that in two weeks. And in the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Bollywood Pod. And you can follow us individually on Twitter if you want to, you know, Talk to either of us. I'm at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. I'm at Erin E. Fraser, E-R-N-E, F-A-S-E-R. We also have a Tumblr. You can uh, check it out at bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com. We'll post in-depth show notes for this episode there and lots of links. You can look at those uh, articles we referenced. Um, yeah, and we have our audio boom page now. Mm-hmm. So you can go there, leave some um, comments on the episode if you like. And... You can try subscribing to us using that service. And you can also find our iTunes page where we always appreciate a good review. Found out recently that we swear too much to be on the official Indian uh, iTunes page, but you can easily access us through the English, Canadian, American, any English-speaking country that is cool and doesn't uh, you know, look down on swearing because, you know, they're narcs. And we also have a Facebook page yeah. that you can go to and like and engage with the show there if you prefer Facebook communication. Yeah, if thank- you're one of those. Yes. Thank you so much for listening.